Hi, I'm Alex Getty. I'm an ad creative based in Melbourne. I studied with RMIT Online, and today I'm interviewing Adam Ferrier, consumer psychologist, author, and public speaker, as well as co-founder of one of Australia's most celebrated creative agencies, Thinkabell. Adam is a creative force. He has a lot of strong opinions, as you might have seen on the Gruen transfer, amongst other appearances. And I have to be honest, going into the interview, I was a little apprehensive, especially since we just met face-to-face a few minutes before. Anyway, let's jump in. Adam, welcome to The Pickle. Hi, how are you? I'm really well. Oh, thank you for asking. Uh, my name's Adam. Uh, I'm a consumer psychologist, but uh, I graduated university degrees in um, psychology and uh, commerce and then decided to kind of get into this kind of world. Amazing. And I understand that part of that was working in maximum security prisons. Is that right? Yeah. So when I um, graduated from university, I got a job anywhere I could. And uh, my girlfriend's mum was the head of corrective services psychology department. And so I kind of applied there and uh, and got a job and then kind of worked in a number of different prisons. But uh, a couple of them were uh, maximum security. But the more interesting stuff was working with the Young Offenders Program in rural New South Wales in a small town called Oberon and used to go kind of camping with them and spend time on personal development with them and it's kind of interesting. So I'd love to know what took you from working in maximum security prisons to advertising? Yeah. What's your um, story? Uh, when I was at school I was very interested in making money and I was very interested in people and I was failing school so I went to see a tutor and the tutor said um, I told him that and the tutor said I should become a consumer psychologist and I thought shit I didn't even know what one was but I thought that sounded perfect so I studied psychology and commerce got and to become a consumer psychologist got sidetracked into forensic psych for a while but then did my thesis in I did my master's in clinical psychology on identifying the underlying constructs of cool people to work out what makes people cool and the reason why I did that was because I knew that it would land me a job in advertising and so um, I discovered what makes people cool got you know kind of that piece of research became got global kind of exposure became a cool hunter off the back of that just travel around the world looking for new and interesting trends and stuff like that and then got into advertising off the back of that um so the forensic psych thing and the prison system thing uh was really interesting and i love it and i kept that going for a long time on the weekends and i still kind of do a lot of do some work in that area from time to time but my main interest and passion if you like is consumerism and and how feeble-minded we all are and how we follow trends and that kind of thing. You've said before that 99.9% of the time people don't give a rats about brands. Why do you reckon that is? Do you know in 2000, have you seen 2001 The Space Odyssey with the famous jump cut where they throw the, bo- the bone up in the air and it comes back down? They kind of transport like 60,000 years. I think that's yeah. just what happened then. Um, <laughs> but but um, when I got into marketing, um, a lot of what I applied, I thought I'd be applying a lot more psychology than I mm. did. Um, and for many years in marketing and advertising, um, psychology and even marketing sciences just didn't exist. It hadn't mm. crossed over into the world of marketing. Um, in around 2002, behavioural economics was invented and then that slowly made its way into the world of marketing. And in South Australia, there's a school called the Ehrenberg Bass Institute, which has done really good, strong headways into, into marketing. And a lot of what they say is kind of now, we now know a lot more about how advertising works than we did even kind of 
back 15, 20 years ago when I got into the industry. And um, one of the things we do know is that nobody gives a shit about your brand, uh, hardly ever. What tends to happen is people go about their day doing their thing and whatever their thing is, and then there's a category need that gets triggered. And in this particular case, it might be education. So for um, a nanosecond of time, you think, shit, I need to improve uh, my qualifications or I'm frustrated or whatever and so you start thinking about the category what could I do what could I do look at all the different options within that your particular brand that you're working on will get mentioned a couple of times mm. but in the whole world of a consumer's life uh, people are thinking about your brand for a bee stick period of time for like hardly ever and so and then for many years we used to think that marketing's job was to make people more motivated to buy that particular brand and it's not really about motivation at all um, the motivation will be there. People will discover your brand because they're interested in the category. So I'm interested in education, so therefore I'm going to look at all the different brands within education. And the marketer's job is to be distinctive or to stand out within that kind of set and then let the consumer decide. And do you think that from a creative point of view, I don't know, what's the reaction? Do people kind of disheartened by that when you tell them or do they find it freeing? Because for me it feels freeing to know that. That's the reality and you're working within a reality. Um. I think it's I think it's an interesting question because I think many people think that our job is to increase motivation to mm. buy a particular brand or a product, but it's actually often to make it just a lot easier for people to buy your brand versus the competitive set. And um, and with that, it, the marketing challenge becomes a little bit different. I think because it's just all just reframed in a slightly different way. So we have to try to still be. Um, cognitively sticky and have a kind of nice positive associations with our brand. But the main job is to get people to choose you versus somebody else within the competitive set. Our job is not to motivate people to enter the competitive set. That kind of happens because they need an education or because they feel thirsty or because their petrols, you know, cars run out of petrol or whatever, or electricity, whatever the case may be. And in an effort to get the customer to give a rats about the brand there's been a definite shift to put them first and kind of shape that world around them. Um, is the customer really the answer in this? The other really big macro trend that's happening in the world of marketing at the moment is understanding the customer, customer journeys, customer data, um, human-centred design and all of that kind of stuff. And I'm sure RMIT Online runs courses in all of that shit. But it's kind of hoodwinking marketers a lot of the time when, when there's all this information around the consumer to understand what people really forget about is understanding what their brand stands for and how to express that brand in various ways. And so um, without a thorough understanding of what the brand is that you're trying to communicate, then you'll start to think about the consumer too much and then you'll start to become more generic because the consumer doesn't really need your brand, they need the category. So the more you understand the consumer, the more you understand the category, category drivers, and then the more you'll invariably end up like everybody else. So in the world of universities, if you understand the category and you understand the consumer, then you'll start to say, come to our university and get a job. And then everybody will start to say, come to our university and get a job. And then it will start to sound like wallpaper. So if you can understand what your brand brings to the table, then you'll be able to stand out with something kind of hopefully more distinctive than what everybody else is saying. And so that's university is one example. But if... um. For example, the more you understand the consumer, then uh, the more your product will become more and more like everybody else and you'll forget what you stand for. So, for example, if you want to understand um, 
what cereals people consume, you'll get a whole lot of data on different types of cereals. And if you're the manufacturer of wheat bix, for example, you'll very quickly find out that wheat bix are really hard to eat. They're really messy and they spill all over the place because you have to try to break them beforehand. And so what you might be tempted to do is make wheat bix easier to eat um, and make them smaller, but then you're going to make wheat bix more and more like everybody else. So understanding data and the consumer and so forth is kind of important, I guess, but it's also a double-edged sword because the more you understand it, it'll kind of suck you towards the uh, the main. And everything starts to sort of look and sound and feel the same. That's right. And yeah. so if you imagine uh, any kind of science fiction writer who, who portrays a movie in the future, they've got us all walking in unison, they've got us all wearing silver spandex, they've got us all the same haircut, the pants pulled up high, whatever it might be. And what they intuitively understand is the world's turning to shit and we're becoming more and more like each other and becoming more and more homogenised because marketing is a mass game and there's a huge gravitational pull towards conformity. Um, and I think if you've seen Wally, I don't, uh, that's probably the best example of uh, a movie portrayed in the future where everybody's wearing exactly the same thing. There's one big mega brand that controls the whole world um, and everybody acts in unison. And so they're the kind of forces, I think, that marketers or brand people need to fight against. And the way to do that is to understand your brand's proposition, not necessarily what the consumer wants or needs. If there's one brand out there who you wish had held on to its original strong proposition or even its look, can you think of one that's sort of gone a bit too to the masses? Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a good question. I'm going to answer it with an easy one that I've already thought of, which is one brand that really knows its shit, and that's IKEA. And so IKEA um, puts its own brand ahead of the consumer all the time. So it makes it really hard to buy. You have to walk through that ridiculous kind of big loopy thing. You have to buy the stuff and bring it home. Then you have to co-create it and make it and build the stuff yourself. But all of that effort you're putting into buying IKEA ends up making sure you value the brand even more so if you did market research people would tell you don't make me shop around for miles don't make me drive out to you know wherever it is don't make me assemble the bookcase myself you know do do it all for me make it easier but if they do make it easier they're going to compromise their proposition and compromise the value that consumers see in ikea which is ostensibly effort a brand that used to be good that kind of lost its way um I keep on getting worried about Test Cricket, although they've lost their way in another way, but I keep on thinking, oh, shit, they're going to shorten the game or they're going to do something to bastardise that, you know, because, you know, to have a game of cricket that lasts five days is completely irrational and nobody can fit that in in today's world, busy world. But that's mm. why it's so strong and I love that. So, And when brands start to feel like they're um, irrational, or incongruous with today's world, I think then there's a lot of pressure on those brands to kind of cut the corners or trim themselves so they fit better into society and that's when they're at risk. I love that example of Ikea and I'm wondering another example might be McDonald's. Do you think they're uh, with this whole self-ordering thing and it's kind of disjointed experience to people now? No, I think, the self, think? I think McDonald's have done a really good job and I think the self-ordering thing's excellent because... Oh. Uh, they've always been about speed and efficiency. So anything that increases speed and efficiency helps um, helps reinforce the proposition. The a little bit fancy kind of stuff, I think, uh, and kind of trying to move a bit more high end, I think they're doing it in a clever way because they're trying to increase the, the value perceptions of a brand, but they're not going over the top. 
Do you think there's a balance marketers need to strike between giving the customer what they want and telling them what they need or is that balance part of that homogeneity yeah. that we're worried about? I think the balance is um, that balance between what customers want and what you stand for has always been there. I think it's out of whack at the moment because uh, lots of people in marketing are talking about being customer obsessed and following the data and human-centred design and customer journeys and, and all of that kind of stuff makes it very, very easy to understand the customer. Uh, what's harder is to understand something as ephemeral and weird as a brand and what's even harder still is not only to understand that but disseminate that through an entire organisation and so they all understand what it is to be Virgin or what it is to be you know, Bunnings or whatever it might be. I think I know the answer to this, but let's ask it anyway. Chief customer officers versus CMOs. Yeah, so in marketing at the moment, again, a lot of um, my my clients um, have always referred to themselves as marketing directors or more recently, chief marketing officers. Um, however, that's changing at the moment. A lot of chief marketing officers are changing their titles to chief customer officer. Um, and a lot of them are talking about being customer obsessed and having customer obsession as a kind of a driving value within the organisation. And if you were customer obsessed and you were genuinely the chief customer officer and you genuinely put the customer's needs ahead of your organisation, then you would just stay out of a customer's way and you wouldn't advertise, you wouldn't, you just, the world doesn't need another uh, soft drink, the world doesn't need another type of, car, the world doesn't need another university, the world doesn't need another pair of jeans, the world doesn't need all of your stuff. So mm. if you were genuinely customer obsessed, you might not exist at all. So it's, a, it's sometimes it's a little bit trite to be, to be say, a customer obsessed because what you really should be doing is being brand obsessed and, um, and making sure that the CEO and the CMO understand and prioritise the brand and therefore the business above all else. And that will often mean hopefully the law has made what often mean that the customer and the world as it gets, you know, um, has a benefit as well or else people will stop buying that particular brand. So marketing and advertising has come a long way, as we know, from those cigar-smoking madmen days. How will the landscape change over the next 10 years? Um, I, I really don't know. I kind of, I, I think it's a big thing for everyone just to play the game in front of us at the moment. Like the world is very, very complicated and adding value to today's world um, is a hard enough job um, without having to try to project five, ten years into the future. Um, what I do know is that I kind of see homogenization as kind of the big terrifying thing to me is being kind of at, at heart I guess a bit of a creative soul and I don't and I want to see the world kind of be be vibrant and lots of ideas kind of existing in the world so I kind of keep on wanting to champion being creative and kind of within that a little bit of human empathy as well but um, I think the more automa automation we get the more tech the more machines then the more opportunity there is for creativity to flourish and be a strategic piece of competitive advantage and that's what I'd advocate. So what will you look forward to in the next 10 years, particularly perhaps with Thinkabell, what um, you're doing there? I look forward to doing, to adding, to doing things that kind of a, a really interesting, create a bit of a legacy, um, make the world a more interesting place or just fucking with the 
system a little bit or you know just trying to create a little bit of kind of grit or a little bit of stuff that doesn't quite fit in the rest of the the order so you speak of that need for grit or that excitement around grit uh would that be something you were looking to achieve with your latest campaign for vegemite so we just want things to jar a little bit and be a bit kind of disfluent um and so we kind of look for that all the time just to make people do a double take so we recently did something with vegemite that had that, that opened with pauline hansen as kind of uh, the opening of the ad, and that she was used absolutely delib- deliberately to create a little bit of interest and think, what the fuck? What, why is she in an ad for Vegemite? Um, and um, and then she and it kind of uses it kind of uses her in a slightly bit of a kind of a piss take way where we've taken some footage of her saying, please explain, uh, which is a kind of classic piece of uh, sixty minutes um, from the nineties. Um, but anyway, so she was in there and. Um, and yes, that was definitely um, kind of gritty and cognitively disfluent. And I know you've, uh, we don't love to always take on board what focus groups say, but what was a focus group reaction from that? If there was one. Uh, there wasn't one. We, okay. we wouldn't focus group it. We try to avoid doing that kind of thing. It's not a great way to understand whether things will work or not because people are not good at predicting how they're going to behave in the future. But what we did do is we shared that particular piece of work with a bunch of marketing scientists from around the world um, and got their feedback. And um, it, as an example, the whole ad's incredibly heavily branded. It appears within the Vegemite Diamond. Um, it's got a jingle, which means it's going to be easy to remember. Tastes like Australia, kind of speaks to the taste of a product. It kind of feels like it's an iconic platform that all the other pieces of communications for Vegemite can fit under. Um and uh, it's got Pauline Hansen followed very closely by um, some Indigenous Australians doing uh, who call themselves the Chooky Chooky Dancers, and I just love the idea that it's got something for everyone in there. I just love this whole idea of the the focus group thing. I think that's really yeah. I mean, and I then I just have to be careful with that because we mm-hmm. have a um, a focus group room at Thinkabel. We run focus groups. We make money from running focus groups. The focus group room is called Hocus Focus, and um, and there's just a little bit of it's just a little bit of kind of humility in it, in that you're realising that it's bloody hard to get insights, mm. and it's bloody hard to ask consumers what they really think about things, and the mm. whole thing has a whole lot of um, uh, bullshit around it, right? So people kind of overpromise a lot, and consumers and humans and us overpromise to ourselves. We kind of are very very bad at predicting how we're going to act. Uh, in an hour from now, let alone, um, you know, six months' time. Mm. And it comes back to, I suppose, for me personally and, and perhaps some of the creatives work for you, there is a freedom in knowing that you, the focus groups and the opinions of certain people aren't always going to be heavily weighing on your work. I mean, to know that you can put some work together that isn't going to be shat on by way of it, of speaking that feels kind of good to know that you have that freedom. Yeah, we yes, I think yeah, I think so. Um, it, what's important is that we understand the brand and the strategy, and we deliver on that. Um, and just realizing um, what adds to that or what doesn't is um, is really important. And being able to have conversations around that is really important because at the end of the day, consumer insight drives a lot of what marketing is all about. It also drives a lot of how decisions are made within big corporate culture and needing to understand the role it plays in those two things is really important. So it's not just a case of saying uh, 
focus groups bad or research bad or you know not research good it's certainly not that like my whole career is on understanding humans and human behavior and marketing sciences and more lately behavioral economics and so I, I i want to kind of put a disclaimer on all of it as well and just saying we're in the business of building brands we're not in the business of understanding people they're quite different things would you like me to ask the question in a way that didn't start with focus groups of shit and <laughs> no that's, ab- <laughs> that's okay no, that's, ab- that's actually fine okay. and especially if you're a, you know you need to understand where you know people need to understand where you're coming from or people also the advertising industry has done a great job in fucking itself in the foot by thinking by training creative people that they are the ones they're the only ones who are creative and it's like the biggest mistake advertising has ever done is make is, is calling people creatives and making them feel like they're the ones who have ideas uh, because it just sets up this whole kind of false dichotomy because everybody's creative and, and everyone wants to aspire to be creative and so to have a whole industry that pretends that they've got ownership of the word creative is hilarious and stupid. So in the same way that the you might fight against this idea of customer chief customer officer. You might fight against the role title of creative. I would. We don't have creatives uh, at Thinkerbell. We have thinkers and tinkers. So thinkers are kind of strategy types. Uh, tinkers are kind of creative types. Um, everybody's born creative. Some of us are more creative than others. To bastardise uh, George Orwell. Um, but um, yeah, it, it's it's ridiculous calling yourself a creative. Uh, it's, it's just awful. I'm going to link in straight after this interview and change my job title. <laughs> uh, well, I think if you want to get a job in the creative, in advertising, I think you've got a perfect title. Okay. So, you know, there's only, <laughs> there's only one creative agency in Australia that doesn't call its creatives creatives. That's such an interesting take. I really like the – it makes it makes perfect sense when it's said in front of you, doesn't it? Yeah. I, and I, if, you're call, if you're going around and you're at a party and you call yourself a creative – um, and well, imagine you went to a party um, and you called yourself a creative. You know, like what does it say to the person next to you? It just makes you look like a dick. Yeah, I have to say, I, I tend to change my script every time I meet someone because no one understands. My parents know what I do. Why would they? Mm. But I usually stick with copywriter, and they say, "So you do copyright stuff, like in printing?" Yeah, no. That's right, and you can't. That's it. But that's a really good point as well. Just for the creative, you can't, if you call yourself a copywriter or an art director, yeah. then you're kind of de-skilling yourself as well, which is mm. the other issue with it. Is um, it's a very, very tight mm. job to have in this mm. world where you have to be kind of adaptable and flexible and do lots of different things. How do you see the role of social media evolving? It's hard to have a delineation between social media and non-social media. It's all kind of communications. And so it's kind of the question is a little bit, how do, how do I see the role of communications evolving because it's kind of everything's social everything's not i think social media is going to take a greater and greater role as we find ways to capture and propagate the consumer's voice and so if i think of something like tribe of which i'm i sit on the board of of tribe which is a social influencing company um and that organization can find a way to get people to promote what they're already consuming. So they consume something, they find an easier way to promote it online. And that's a really nice example, I think, of um, of an organisation that's kind of tried to see the value in somebody's voice or somebody's peer-to-peer recommendation and then trying to make that kind of amplify that or make it as easy as possible. So people have always listened to other people 
um, promote stuff and take their recommendations. And the more social media evolves, then the more efficient we'll be at getting customers to be the departure point and not the end point for any piece of communication. So at the moment, marketing sees the customer as somebody they need to hit over the head, whereas really what will tend to happen more and more and more is the customer is doing the marketing as well, that are the departure point for the, for the message, not the end point. Awesome. So it's more like life imitating life rather than it being a separate Yeah, it's activity. like um, yeah. There's, a, there's a classic, uh, there's a form of journalism, gonzo journalism, where the author kind of becomes part of a, part of a story or part of a narrative and there's a, an analogy for gonzo marketing, which is the same kind of thing where the consumer is the marketing as well, they're the product as well as the, um, the market. They're the consumer and the prosumer and the producer of a product, the consumer of a product, and they're the propagator of it. So what should marketers be giving a rats about right now? What should marketers be giving a shit about right yeah, now? Thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> their brand. Uh, it's very boring. Um, but it, the it's, it's really interesting. Um, when I first started in marketing, brand positioning and segmentation um, and brand architecture were things you spent ages doing um and now they're kind of there's their skills that people just kind of quickly try to just do or do on a whiteboard or, or something and it's very very hard to define what a brand is and it's even hard to get that to kind of live and breathe throughout an organization so i think what they really should be giving rats about is understanding what their brand is and how that manifests itself in all sorts of different parts of the world um, and that's that's difficult and it's worth spending time on on bedding that down as much as possible. Adam, thanks so much for coming in. The Pickle was brought to you by RMIT Online. Change the way you think about learning. We have. Study short courses and full degrees online on your terms. Head to online.rmit.edu.au to find out more.